0: Welcome back, you guys. Today, we're on episode 11, and the title of this episode is Eat What You Raise. If you haven't guessed it by now, this is about raising your own livestock for a sustainable purpose and how it could possibly be done and the emotions behind the whole process. We're not going to talk about butchering. Don't worry about that. But we are going to talk about explaining to our children, our friends, and our family how we can love on something one minute and then put it in the freezer the next If you're ready for this episode, come on along and join me. It's the emotions behind eating what you raise. I'm sitting here getting ready to record this podcast, and I have an incubator full of heritage American geese hatching right now. Four of them already hatched. The fifth one's pipping. Two are underneath a broody um, broody hen out in the coop. But this is a true testimony of how I live my life. How I live my life. I'm in my office. Incubator's going. Broody hands out back. Meat birds are out on grass. I just ordered um, another pig for November, some beef coming in in November as well too, and lambs. Those big ruminant animals are breeds that animals that I cannot raise on my acreage, my two acres, because we're in the woods, we're on a mountainside. It just doesn't work here for us, unfortunately. So I choose to outsource the bigger breed animals and eventually, hopefully one day soon, possibly next year, the boar goats will arrive and I will be able to raise a meat source that is mine and it will be goat meat and I'm okay with that. So what has caused me to um, talk about such a delicate, delicate conversation right now? And honestly, it's, it's three folds. The first being, you know, our, our food source is broken. I mean, let's break it down. Our food source is broken. I'm not going to go into it very heavily, but we all know that, Right. When one third of the farms in America are owned by the Chinese, we have got to know that something is drastically wrong with our food source. We are a disposable country. We rely on just what we can quickly grab and consume, whether or not it's from the market or from you know um, fast food or restaurants or whatever the case is. We're disposable. Country. And that is okay to some degree, not a big degree, just to some small degree. There's got to be a time where fastness has to happen. It is. I mean, living a homesteading life, we know this. As much as we calculate having dinner on the table at a certain time based on a from scratch cooking, Justin and I still take the family out to pizza night. Absolutely. We still take the family out to Chinese every once in a while. That's just the way we are. I would like a, a break from having to cook every single night, right? And I know that many of you guys are the same way, but with the broken food source, you have got to wonder how can we take these people and bring them back to the fold of teaching them where to find a good, clean meat source is. I mean, how much longer are we going to limit the package of meat that people can buy, that consumers can buy at the market? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. That is one of the reasons what prompted me to do this, our broken food source. The next reason was my son recently just asked me on the last round of when we butchered our Cornish crosses to put in the freezer, how can I butcher my own animals? And let me tell you, I had to reel myself in, like really reel myself in before I actually explained to him how it can be done. And once I did, he got it. He got it. I explained to him that our birds get to touch the sun and feel the sun on their skin. They get to lay in the grass and stretch out their legs. They get to experience rain, grass, rocks, bugs, and they get to consume it freely on their own free will. And then from there, it's hard for us on butchering day. And after six years, it is still difficult for us to come to butchering. Nobody goes to butchering day going, yeah, I'm going to do this. Hey, watch me roar. No, we don't. Number one, a lot of work. Number two, taking a life to feed a life is not an easy process. So that's what makes it hard. And I'm so thankful that he truly understood what I was saying when I explained that to him. And I go, do you understand what I'm saying? And he goes, yes, nope, I get it. I get it now. Thank you for explaining explaining it to me. I truly understand what I'm saying. And the third reason, of course, why this topic is necessary is we all seek to consume a cleaner food source. In the markets, you see organically raised, free-range, hormone-free, whatever the case is, but it's marketing, marketing. The biggest marketing ploy ever is egg cartons. Let's talk about that. Free-range egg cartons. Do you know what that means? All that means is those factory buildings can open their doors for a minimum of 10 minutes. The chicken has the choice of going outside or not, if they can get out there because there's so many of them, and that's considered free-range. That's it. Cage-free. It just means that there's no bars forcing them to sit on that nesting box all day long for the whole entire lifespan of that bird. So the biggest marketing ploy ever is the labeling that they find on there. But consumers that shop in the market do not know how to read that. So how can we teach these individuals that it is okay to purchase from small family farms in your area and to pay a little bit more for that? It's hard. It's hard. So most of us don't sell our meat. I don't. Everything I raise, I raise for my family, meaning the ones that live in this household as well as my sons and my mother-in-law, that's who gets my food. And because I know that they truly value that. They do. They really do. And I cannot be prouder of what Justin and I have established here on that homestead because of that. There is no greater joy than birth at all. At all, there's nothing. Regardless if it's rabbits, or poultry, waterfowl, um, goats, cows, pigs, whatever you name it, sheep, there's no greater joy than being able to see the birth. But there's no greater joy than being able to put that into the freezer as well too. I am not a sanctuary. I have a main goal for my homestead. And what it is, it's to feed myself and my family first. And we just talked about that. But the other thing that I have to keep in mind is, is that, you know, not everybody understands this life. Not everybody gets it. Most of these individuals that look into our lives and take a good peek truly feel encouraged. But then the other half is truly intimidated by it. And then there's the other small percentage that just says, nope, I can't do it. And I would never butcher my own animal, but I respect what you're doing. And you know what, I applaud those people so much. So what's my answer to the group number th- three, the ones that say, nope, can't do it, but I applaud what you're doing. Outsource it. Outsource it. Find someone who can raise that for you and barter a trade with them. If you are great at canning, can something for them in exchange for it. Tell them you'll can their whole tomato crop, whatever it is, in exchange for it. You've got to learn the system of bartering to be able to get that. You know, you you enter this life with the concept of being thankful for everything that you're given. A garden is not guaranteed. Sections of it will die off before you can even harvest from it. Blight, tomato blight, bugs, slugs rodents, whatever the case is, it's not a guarantee, but you're thankful for it. And the same thing goes for your own meat. You're thankful for what they have. Does that mean that you need to isolate yourself from them? And because you don't want to get too attached to them to go ahead and put them in the freezer? Well, (laughs) let me just tell you, my husband, Justin, is now attached to the team Muscovy. He loves his Muscovy ducks, loves them, all eight of them. But he knew that when they arrived onto the property, we would only be keeping one drake, to four to five hens. And that was it. The rest of them were going to go into the freezer. He knew that. I have been told now officially that no, 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 no Muscovies will end up in the freezer. We can go ahead and worry about their offspring. But this team is here to stay. And as I explained to him, we don't need four drakes. We don't need four hens. I need one drake. To four hands at that point and he gets it but it's so hard for them when you become attached to these little guys to separate yourselves sometimes now he, he's saying this half teasing me and half not but it, it's a true emotion it's a true emotion he just told me the other day that i had to pick between my amchins because it was time to breed and abraham who has been slowing down is not making the cut abraham is my rabbit My American chinchilla, my American heritage chinchilla rabbit that I absolutely love and adore and Aurelia, my granddaughter can pet and love on, but he didn't make the cut because he's slowing down. I'm not a sanctuary, you know? So we have to make these decisions from the very, 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 very first moment that they are hatched or born to what can continually feed us all the way across the board. And it's never an easy decision ever. I cannot... That I go into a butchering day, especially with rabbits, that I'm like, yes, I am so glad to be done with them and they're off. It is hard. Justin and I pray before butchering happens. And we, that first rabbit that actually gets, you know, put out and fed for us, we kind of choke. I kind of choke. I look at him and he looks away. So how do I do it? How do I determine what is going to stay on the property and what's not going to stay on the property? And and where do I make the choice from? And how could I possibly move forward with butchering an animal that I have spent all this time hugging and cuddling and nursing and feeding and talking to and petting? Homesteading has hats, multiple hats, right? So we have a gardener hat, a chef's hat, you know, a, a, a landscaper's hat. Um, am uh, an animal husbandry hat. And the other hat we have to wear is the hat of can you raise your own animals for food? I mean, can you eat what you raise basically, right? That's the hat. And I have to put that hat on every single day. I pet an animal. Thank you for being here. I'm going to enjoy your company while you're here. I'm going to give you the best life while you're here. But in the end, we know what's going to happen. And I have to make feed my family. And the only way to do that is to be able to do that as humanely as possible. So there's a hat. You wear a hat. You put on a hat. Every chore, task, responsibility that you have has its own hat or a badge, or whatever you want to call it. But that's what it is. That's what it really boils down to. I have got to keep focus for why they're here, and how I'm going to care for my family. And and that's what it boils down to. You know, it's not easy, you know, especially with rabbits, like I just said, it's not easy in any way, shape, or form. And if it was easy, then we're in it for the wrong reasons. It should be hard, it should be emotional, and it should be exhausting in the end, not necessarily physically a lot exhausting, exhausting, but also emotionally exhausting at the same time. Many years ago, someone asked me, how do I do the things that I do? And I kind of just sat back and I, I thought about it for a minute and it just dawned on me, I wear multiple hats, multiple hats let's see, I have a nanny hat. I have my children. I have a chef's hat. I have a housekeeper's hat. I have a landscaper's hat for the garden and the property. I also have a lumberjack hat because Jess and I are constantly harvesting wood to be able to warm our home in the wintertime. I have a veterinarian hat and I wear a butcher hat. And the butcher hat is the hardest hat to wear. And, you know, rightfully so. Again, taking a life to feed your own. It's one of the hardest things ever. Do I think that she understood what I was saying by wearing the hat? I think she does. I really do. She still follows me to this day, by the way. I think she did. And um, I think that that's how we have to address things. You know, consider it a uniform. Butchering and being a butcher is not something I enjoy doing, but I have to put on the uniform. I have got to get the job done in order to get paid. And that's how I have to think about it. I put on the hat. I, mean, I put it on the night before, to be honest with you, preparing myself for the next day. It's exhausting. It is an exhausting process, but... When the hat's on, the uniform's on, the mentality shifts, and I've got to get the job done for myself, my family, and my property. Do you want to know what's worse than butchering day? Caring for a sick animal for a multiple amount of days, weeks, time frame, and they don't recover, and you've got to cull them. I think that's the worst part, but that's part of having good animal husbandry and that's part of being a good steward is is that we don't just take a sick sick animal in that moment in time and dispose of it. We have got to learn the process of how to care for something, even if it's not for meat purposes and we're getting something in the end. This, This is just it's our job. That's who we are and that's what we have to do. I mean, I think about it to this day and I often wonder what people consider how long is too long and i think the answer is you know you know how long too long is and if you don't then you need to find a mentor that can teach you that that can show you the cues and the signs of 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 what the right time when the right time is to just say we've given it our all we've got to go ahead and call you because at that point the meat you know is or is not usable and it's almost as if you tried and put all that effort into caring for this animal and healing it and and hoping for the best of it just to have it just be gone and sometimes that's more than enough to know that the animal is out of pain but if you think about it and it is a meat animal you know you've lost that financial aspect of being able to feed your family with it so what's worse yeah caring for a sick animal to me is the worst thing ever and the veterinarian hat is not a good hat but by far it's not the most difficult hat to wear if people just truly understood the emotions behind raising your own livestock you know it it, yeah yeah, it is, it's, it's difficult, it is. I mean, when you raise a pet, you know, they're a member of your family, they serve a purpose, you'll do everything that you possibly can, much like livestock, to care for them and have them around. But then when they pass, or you've got to put them down to rest, it, it's hard. It's like putting down an arm, you know, a, mem- a, a, a arm, your arm or a member of the family or whatever the case is, you know, it's hard, but livestock is different and it's, it's to a different degree. And, you know, we we're stewards, we're stewards to, stewards to our animals. We're, you know, stewards to our land We're we practice humane husbandry for a reason and nothing, nothing prepares us for, any of it, the sickness, the birth, you know, the joy of the birth, you know, the sorrow of the sickness, the, um, anxiety at times of butchering day to just get the job done and hope that you get it done gracefully and the animal does not suffer. And if you, if you learn how to butcher properly, the animal will not suffer. So, you know, it, it's just part of what we do and how we do it. And I try to mentor that and teach that to people as much as we can, you know, it's never an easy experience i had a woman call me and ask me to come to her home and call her sick hen i just stopped and think about that for one for a minute and i didn't do it number 1 biosecurity measures would have been you know horrible you know stepping foot onto a property that has a sick bird not knowing the illness and then bringing it back to my property itself is just a bad call, a bad call across the board. But I felt bad because that him was a pet of hers. And so I had to give her a veterinarian's number and said, I think that this person will do it for you. Try them. You know, it, it's number one, it's not my job to call anybody sick bird, but I feel for the individuals that do not know how to do it themselves. I truly feel for them. And I would hope that anybody that gets into raising poultry knows how to do that. It's got to be something you have to learn. That's why we raise livestock, whether or not they're backyard chickens, or, you know, if you're on a big farm or a two acres like myself, those are things that you have to learn and they're not easy things, but that's what makes us stewards to our animals. You have to know the whole package, people, the whole package from raising them from chicks to egg laying to how to dispatch of them if they're sick or if it's time to bring in a new flock. You just you got to learn it. You got to learn it. That's our job. So the last part of this episode is basically butchering day. What does it feel like on that particular day? And I'm sure everybody has their own stories. They really do. Everybody, some people will say, I'm just excited to get it done. Some people will say, I am so thankful. I don't feed them anymore. You know, all that is true. It is true. All that is true. However, there is uh, an emotion that, you know, that we need to talk about and it's joy. It is joy. It is joyful to know that that 36, 45, 150, whatever it was that you have been feeding since day one is now going to feed your family. And that is joy. Dispatching is not joy in any way, shape, or form. Justin made sure that I know how to dispatch. And I'm thankful that he taught me that. If anything should happen to him, I know how to dispatch these birds to continue to put them in the freezer. But the joy that you feel in knowing that every single one of them was raised beautifully in your hands is the most amazing feeling you can ever have, ever, ever have. How ironic is it that birth and death can bring so many emotions at one time, right? I mean, we think about it in human form. We think about it in pet form. And but... But as a homesteader, you think about it and you look at something like these eggs when they first, you know, I posted a picture on Instagram about, you know, with a gosling getting ready to hatch it, probably just like only a quarter through her egg, its egg. And, um, I looked at it and I realized I'm so excited. I I was able to hatch these, these eggs in an incubator and here they are, we're going to spend some really great quality time and we're going to love on them because goslings are adorable. And then I've got to pick my breeding pair and butcher what I don't need. You know, it's ironic that you can feel these waves of roller coasters all at the same time, and it does not leave you. And if you're doing it right, it will not leave you. I think of some of the strongest homesteading women that I know, and, you know, to this day, we'll all say the same thing. It is emotionally exhausting to raise animals for meat. Emotionally exhausting but feel good that it is emotionally exhausting because if it doesn't feel emotionally exhausting then again you're doing it for the wrong reason so what happens you put on your butchering hat you put on your veterinarian hat you put on your humane husbandry steward to your livestock hats and you get the job done and you're going to lose some along the way it's a probability and you're going to raise up the ones that you made it And then you're going to put them in the freezer and you're going to feed your family. And that meal that you make with them never goes unappreciated. You will forever appreciate the meal that you make with the animals that you raise from birth to table. But it doesn't go away, though, right? You still, I mean, to me, I'm putting in there and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you're A, B, C, D, or E in regards to the Cornish Crosses, but I'm thankful that you are now feeding my family. And I'm thankful I know how you lived. And I'm thankful that you were raised properly, just as our forefathers once raised you. Who can complain about that? Who can complain about the life that I've given my livestock? Not one person, not one person. So if you are one of the few, like myself, that actually displays emotions all the way across the board, especially when it comes to livestock that you're raising for meat, then you get me. You get this podcast. You get who I am. You get, you get the joys and the pains and the sorrows and the happiness of raising these animals to put in your freezer. You know, I think about the day where I, I'm going to be raising sheeps and pigs and goats for meat. And I still to this day go, oh, my gosh, those are bigger livestock. You know, but then here I am with the rabbits. The rabbits come in. The little bunnies come in and snuggle with me all day long. There's no doubt about it. And butchering day for rabbits is just as hard as it is for the poultry and the waterfowl and the guineas and, you know, all the fowl that are on the property. But It's the price I pay to know that my family is consuming a clean food source. And if you guys are in agreement for this, then we understand each other. If you're in disagreement for this and you think that I'm just too emotional, so be it. And that's the case. But there's always emotions behind it. And there's nothing wrong with the emotions. You know, they haven't stopped me. I'm going to continue to raise food for my family. And I'm going to continue to do it in a way that's very humane. That is the lesson that I've learned as a homesteader. And there it is, episode 11 in the books, Eat What You Raise and All the Emotions Behind Doing So and What Makes Us Good and Different Than Factory Farming. And hopefully this is something that you can mentor others with and teach them, you know, the difference of how to get there. You know, is it okay to feel this way? Is it okay to still feel this way after six years like myself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, this homesteading life is about a learning curve for everyone. And it's about learning continually for yourself as well, too. So. will it be easier for me to butcher? Maybe someday. I mean, will I ever lose a true emotions behind it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Knowing myself, no way, no way. I will forever be thankful. I will forever feel emotion, lots of emotions on butchering day, the good, the sad, you know, all of it, but it's my job. It's the hat that I wear. It's the role of feeding my family. It's the role of raising animals humanely in order to feed my family. So, Take this podcast, share it with others, explain to them all the raw feelings behind Butchering Day and all the raw feelings about birthing to Butchering Day and encourage someone to go about and to do it and mentor them along the way because there's going to be a lot of questions about it and it's okay to have the questions. So until next week, I'll talk to you guys later and hopefully this podcast helped you out. Remember to hit subscribe and the notification bell, too, if you want to continue to listen to our podcasts in the future. And they're there every single week for you. They'll range from topics from gardening, preserving, cooking from scratch and animal care. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye.